He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. Welcome, this is John Katsimatidis. This is the 5 o'clock show, the number one show at 5 o'clock. And have we got news for you today? We have breaking news all over the place. Wait till you hear. And this is the the station, and this is a TriCast. It's broadcast out of WABC Radio 770 Midtown, also on AM 970 The Answer and WLIR. Even the intelligence agencies listen to us to find out what the heck we know and what the heck is going on. Uh, in the studio with us, uh, we have... Uh, former uh, FBI uh, assistant director of the FBI in New York, uh, in charge. You're in charge of the whole office, uh, George Venizelos, and uh, he's got some uh, breaking news. And uh, we have uh, Peter Navarro to tell his side of the story, I understand. Right. And uh, we, we, we'll yes. have um, um, Andrew McCarthy will be on, Charlie Gasparino. Uh, we have Gordon Chang in studio here. He'll be talking to us. And he's a senior fellow. C- correct. Dis- Gatestone distinguished senior fellow. And we'll also be speaking to Daniel Henninger. He's a deputy editor of the Wall Street Journal, Dr. Peter Mikolos. Uh, but first, we wanted to talk to George, right? Well, also, you forgot. Oh, Judge Weinberg. No, Judge I, Weinberg. Of course, there's that and, thing, Rudy uh, Washington. Deputy I'm sorry. Mayor Rudy Washington. I thought you were going to introduce was, the ones in the studio. Mayor under Rudy's administration. <laughs> a lot of people. A lot of people. Well, first, we go to uh, George Venizelos, and uh, uh, we uh, had a big reward out. Uh, the Gristides had a. A robbery in one of their stores and on the Upper East Side, and uh, we put out a ten thousand dollar reward, and maybe his own grandmother turned him in. Who knows? But I understand we got George Venizelos. We, we have some great news on that that front, and you know we we identified the person who was a, actually a former employee that we um, identified early on after the after the reward came out. Um, fortunately, this case was taken by the federal task force, and, and uh, it's important. And I'll, I'll explain why. Does that, does that mean he goes to jail forever? That's, he's been in jail. He's been in jail since Versus April twenty seventh. Yeah, he's been in jail since April twenty seventh. He was finally charged with R with the Gristides, um theft uh, in in May, in mid May. But he's part of that task force, and this shows you. Now, this is an armed robbery. We tied up three employees. This this person did. Three, two or three other robberies they know of in different places. So this is the type of criminal we're dealing with. Now, these are people who just don't, they do multiple armed robberies. And in the federal system, he's deemed a flight risk and a danger to the community, and he's been locked up since, since um, April 27th. And again, can you explain how it went to the federal level? Uh, they have a task force set up now to try to deal with some of these gun, uh, gun robberies that are, that are going all around the city. In this case, actually... This met the standards, so this case was adopted by that that task force, and they actually worked the, ta- the case from the beginning. So it's good news. It shows how the federal presence is needed in this city right now with what's going on with the district attorney's office and not keeping people in jail, letting them out, revolving door, in and out, in and out. This person, deservedly so, has been held. So it's, so it's good news, and I think our aggressiveness and with the reward and everything put a focus on this, and it really helped a lot. Well, now um, we do have some breaking news. WABC. 
And on the line for us right now is investigative reporter extraordinaire John Solomon of JustTheNews.com. John Solomon, what is the latest breaking news? I know if anybody has it, you do. Yeah, we've had a lot of it in the last couple of days, most of it related to the January 6th crisis and the, uh, the post-investigation. Of course, tonight there's a primetime Hollywood television-made presentation by Democrats who are going to try to argue that President Trump uh, went to the Capitol with a goal of fomenting violence. Well, we've been looking at this. We have obtained over – I've spent the last three weeks interviewing Capitol Police commanders and rank and file up and down. I've gathered over 1,000 pages of documents that are not public. By the way, the January 6th Commission, the committee hasn't put any of these documents out, but we're putting them out on an hourly basis, and they tell a far different story than what you're going to hear tonight. They show that the Capitol Police themselves did their own analysis of what happened on January 6th, and they, the police, ended up with more than 53 intelligence and uh, security failures that allowed the Capitol to be overrun. Had these things not occurred, the Capitol probably would have stayed safe on January 6th, even with those bad actors. Now, what sort of things are they? There are things like, oh, the doors to the House and Senate chambers didn't lock. They were supposed to lock. The, the mechanism didn't work. The, an elevator that led to one of the most sensitive parts of the Capitol wasn't secured. People could go up and down it, including the rioters that day. Um, the intelligence unit that used to monitor what's known as open source intelligence, you and I would call that social media, it was shut down by the Capitol Police inexplicably two months before the um, January 6th riots, blinding uh, the Capitol Police to all of the intelligence that was on social media, warning that there was going to be violence, plans to storm the Capitol, plans to target members of Congress, plans to go in and uh, block the tunnels and trap lawmakers in the tunnels around the Capitol. All of that was on social media. The Capitol Police shut down the unit that could have found that, could have found that uh, the, re- the after action report says that was a fateful decision that likely led to the tragedy. But here's the big one of them all. The night of January 5th, the FBI, we put this document out there, sent a nine page warning to the Capitol Police saying we have current intelligence that there will be violence, that there is an attempt to target members of Congress to storm the Capitol. Here are some of the things, some of the plans, some of the tactics, some of the strategies we're picking up on social media. So even though the Capitol Police shut down their social media unit, the FBI backs them up. That intelligence goes to a couple of deputy chiefs. It does not get distilled down to the commanders, to the riot police, to the intelligence folks in the field. Uh, they all so they rank and the file the Capitol Police. This is mind-boggling. Who dropped the bull, John Solomon, that the, this wasn't communicated down the line? It's it's an amazing story. It appears that two deputy chiefs who remain with the department had this information, did not distill it down, kept it to themselves. Now there's a wrinkle. We're going to break the story tonight. We have this document in front of us. Uh, the Senate investigation, Capitol uh, Inspector General, all agree this information wasn't distilled down to any people, wasn't put into the operational plan. But we have an email showing one person did get a tip off, a staffer. Senator Chuck Schumer got tipped off the night of the 5th that there might be problems. In fact, some of the, the very specific information the FBI had, like screenshots of the warnings and what they were doing, was sent to this one official in the Senate Arms, a Senate Sergeant at Arms Office, someone who's very close to Chuck Schumer. It doesn't appear to go anywhere else. I just talked to Congressman Rodney Davis, the ranking Republican House Administration Committee. He's in charge of security in the Capitol from the Republican perspective. He calls this a bombshell. A jaw dropper. Okay, Chuck Schumer got a tip off, but the rest of the police, the rest of the senators, the rest of the Republicans, no one else got that tip off. We're going to have more of that tonight.
Wow, that's uh, some news. Uh, uh, and, and, and I'm still asking the question. Nobody broke down the Capitol doors, and those are pretty big doors. The, the Capitol Police opened them up. They opened from the and, inside. And I, wait, if I'm wrong, please tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, it depends on the door, right? There was an effort to breach the chamber doors yes. uh, where the House and Senate uh, members were meeting on the floor of the House and Senate. That's why Ashley Babbitt is shot. Uh, she's try- trying to breach those doors at the moment that she is uh, shot. But there are other doors that lead into the Capitol that we've seen. I've seen the video footage of. And in some cases, the cops are waving them in. There's never been a good explanation, and we're not going to get one at tonight's hearing, I guarantee you, um, about that. There are so many unanswered questions. Here's a big one. Uh, one of the 53 findings in the report. We, we spend $600 million a year funding the Capitol Police. They're only responsible for about a one-mile swath of D.C. So that's a lot of money to protect one mile of Washington, of course, the iconic capital, which is the home of democracy in America, important to protect. So they, they had all these riot police that were trained specifically to de-escalate civil disturbance. Half of them weren't on duty. They would be doing other things. They weren't on ready for a day, even though there were intelligence warnings of violence. The other half went to go deploy when stuff hit the fan and all of a sudden the violence started. They could not get their gear. You're not going to believe why, because it was locked in a bus and nobody could find the key. This is how well this police were prepared for this epic day. They're, they were locked in a, a bus, a school bus, and nobody had the key for it. They couldn't get their equipment. They were uh, woefully delayed to uh, an incident where if they had gotten there early, they might have been able to retain control of the floor. Maybe a lot of this wouldn't have happened. I interviewed a very senior Capitol <clears throat> Police official in the last 24 hours, and I said to him, all right, you've seen what I reported. I put this document out here, 53 findings. If you guys had gotten this right, would January 6th have happened? And he said, almost certainly not. We, we, we blew That's mind-boggling. So. Uh, and, and, and not only did the, they didn't listen to the FBI, uh, President Trump at that time told them to bring in the National Guard. I mean, if President Trump meant for this to happen, why ask them to bring in the National Guard? Such a great question. It's the question that Democrats will not be able to answer tonight, according to my reporting. We talk a lot of Democrats. They don't have an answer for that, so they're just going to gloss over it. There's a new document we put out this morning, John. Um, it is the official timeline that the police had for every minute by minute of what happened from December 16th all the way to the night of uh, January 6th, the faithful end of that terrible day. It shows that the uh, – remember, there are professional news media organizations who have said this is disinformation, the idea that Trump authorized the National Guard. This is what it shows. On January 2nd, four full days before the violence started, the Pentagon, the Trump Pentagon, contacted that same deputy police chief that we've been talking about and said, would you like to have – National Guard, make a request. We'll get them available to you. Let's get it going early. And he got back to the uh, DOD and a few hours later and said, nah, we don't need it. We don't need it. Then a couple days go by, close to January 4th, and then the police chief at the Capitol realizes, uh, you know what, we're getting some bad vibes here. Let's go get the National Guard. He goes to Nancy Pelosi's right-hand people, the, art, the sergeant-at-arms, and is told, nah, we don't want you to have them. It's bad optics. There's nothing about security. They're worried about the optics. And he's turned down repeatedly to get National Guard, even though the, uh, President Trump and his team have offered it to them. 20,000 soldiers could, be, could have been on the ground. If we had 20,000 soldiers on the ground, nothing bad would have happened, most likely, on January 6th. What a fateful decision. And as this is going on, I, I put a, a new letter out. 
I just put it out a few minutes ago. It's from D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser. It's on the afternoon of January 5th. She gets word that the Capitol Police are agitating, want to get the National Guard. And she writes the Pentagon herself saying, don't you dare do that. We don't need this. The Metropolitan Police are pros. We got this covered. Don't bother sending out the Guard. The Democrats repeatedly turned down the best security option that was available to protect the Capitol. And, uh, and that is sitting in writing now. It's not in doubt. It's not fiction. The facts are now in the public domain. John Solomon, one last question before we have to take a break is Michigan. The yes. person that was running for governor just got arrested. What Can happened? you believe it? 15, 16 months after the January 6th riot, a candidate long been on the ballot as uh, one of the Republican uh, folks running in the primary, a guy named Ryan Kelly. He was arrested today. At his home search in connection, they say. And he what party is there. he? Does he belong to John Solomon? Is he a Democrat? Uh, Republican Party. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I, I, I think that was almost didn't need to be spoken. We knew it would be right. <laughs> well, it gets to well, the we need we need again. the American people to trust the Justice Department, and right now there is apprehension going on. But John Solomon, thank you for telling us the truth and telling all Americans the truth, and that's what we stand for. Truth, justice, and the American way. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on today. Great honor. Thank you. Well, thank you, uh, John Solomon. And that was some report. Uh, George Venizelos, you were in the FBI for 24 years. And uh, uh, what say you? The FBI did warn them. Yeah, I mean, they did warn them. I mean, uh, based on the warnings that there was given, uh, security should have stepped up. Absolutely. They should have stepped up. Yeah, they should have been stepped up. They should have accepted the, the mayors, uh, the capital, uh, the metropolitan police yes. of the, that the mayor uh, of Washington, D.C. offered, and uh, the National Guard that President Trump ordered. But, yeah. but ultimately, who's responsible when you say they? Who's they? The, cap- the capital police. Well, who's the in charge of the capital police? Pelosi. Pelosi. Uh, Congresswoman Pelosi is responsible Pelosi. For, the house. for the security of the House. Yeah. Is that going to be brought up tonight? No, I'm sure not. Absolutely not. Uh, let's go. Now we have... Uh, we have Peter Navarro here to tell his side of the story. He comes on Cats at Night, and we just uh, we want to hear what happened to you, sir, Peter Navarro. And, of course, you have a great book um, that's out, and everyone should get it. It's called In Trump Time, My Journal of America's Plague Year. And, again, it's called In Trump Time. Peter Navarro, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, and just... For the record, the new book that's coming out, Taking Back Trump's America, on Amazon now, I'm asking people to buy to support both my legal defense fund and taking back both the House in 2022 and the White House in 2024. So taking back Trump's America. I am doing fine. Um, This is six days after I found myself uh, in leg irons, denied food, water, uh, the right to counsel. And uh, taken by five FBI agents from the door of an airplane. Here's the funny thing, folks. I live literally 50 yards across the street from the FBI. And on Wednesday night, two days before the taking, um, I wrote to first Patricia Alloy, the deputy attorney. And I told her, look, I'm trying to do my duty to the president and the Constitution. I'm in an untenable position. I'm looking for a modus vivendi. Uh, there's, there's a number of things that you can do. Could, could you talk to this lawyer that I'm giving you the name of? Okay, I thought that was 
that was a that was a, a, a reasonable path that they would accept. A lawyer did nothing like that. Didn't even call a lawyer, which in my judgment is malpractice. Now the other thing I did was I called Walter Giordano. He's the guy who a week earlier from the FBI, a special agent, had knocked very loudly on my door to the point of almost breaking the door to serve me with a subpoena, getting me out of bed in the wee hours of the morning. And I called Walter. I said, look, Walter, <clears throat> you're just across the street. Come, come, just if you need something, I'm happy to take whatever subpoena you got or anything else. All you got to do is call me. Now, he did not choose to do that. Instead, the, Aloy and Giordana and whoever else probably had had to go through Merrick Garland, I'm certain, uh, decided that on Friday, rather than quietly come to my apartment, which they could have done, or call me, which they could have done, they let me get all the way to the airport in a public place and take me with five agents. And at the time of the arrest, I asked several times uh, for uh, the ability to call someone for legal advice. I was denied that request, um, and they confiscated my phone. Uh, and they're even disputing that, which blows my mind, which tells me how, well, what kind of blows uh, they'll stoop to. But the, the bigger principle here, and we've talked about this, Johnny Katz and crew. Executive privilege. It's not my privilege to waive. I told the committee that. I told the Justice Department that. I said that the, the least burdensome legal alternative is simply to go to President Trump and his attorneys, negotiate a waiver of the privilege. If, if he wants me to testify, I'll do it. They did not do that. They've never done that. They didn't even file a civil suit, which is the second least burdensome alternative. And by law, they should have done one or the other. Instead, they went uh, full metal jacket. <laughs> you know, leg irons are kind of interesting. I'm walking along. I'm, in, I'm like in John Hinckley's cell in solitary, and they're running me back and forth to the fingerprint machine. And this guy's going like fast. I'm going, wait a minute. I, I got leg irons on, dude. I, I can't keep up with you. And it was like it was um, – it was a surreal experience, but we have a two-tier justice system here. Wow! I mean, it's a uh, and and uh, any comments from our? Uh... Well, I want to ask Peter Navarro. You heard the interview before with John Solomon. What is your reaction to hearing about that? About the, uh, the about the FBI uh, giving the warning, uh, the DC mayor yeah. not you know. I mean, it yeah, seems yeah, like there yeah. was a complete security so, failure here. So I think uh, I think I'm a pawn in, in a game here. If you think about the arc going into this hearing tonight, this this primetime farce, right? It's like I filed a civil suit last Tuesday questioning uh, the legality of this on four critical constitutional issues. I mean, these are like should go to the Supreme Court. Then I get arrested arrested publicly in a in a stockade-type shame and humiliation, violation of the Bill of Tainter Clause kind of thing, show trial and everything like that. And it's clear that this is a, a weaponization of Congress's investigatory powers. I say this because in my civil suit, I point out how the original plan for Congress was to, to set up a, a bipartisan, bicameral commission with five Democrats and five Republicans. 
and to look at what actually happened on January 6th. And I believe the president would have cooperated with that. I certainly would have, because to John Solomon's excellent reporting point, I want to know Peter Navarro, before before we have to take a break, there's one question I want to ask, and we've known each other a long time. Uh, We had testimony from uh, somebody from the FBI yesterday that said uh, when when you got arrested at the airport, did they put you in handcuffs? That's correct. Okay, but but you uh, were my shoulder. I but I understand that. You did not get leg irons or things like that until you were turned over to the U.S. Marshal's office. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, sure, sure. So it wasn't the FBI. It wasn't the FBI that put you in hand. Well. When and, and then we had testimony from the U.S. Marshals that said that they do that to every prisoner that's turned over to the U.S. Marshals. <laughs> Uh, the FBI full well knew when they took me the way they did, John, I was going to wind up in leg iron. So if you, are they saying they're not responsible for that? No, they're not saying they're not they're responsible. Not they they, they yeah. had orders. Uh, I guess they had that's, orders. That's to, BS. To, they had that's, orders. That's BS. I could have voluntarily surrendered. They could have done it in a way. No, which we, understand which, we understand that. That's not a public humiliation. They, uh, we they, understand. They did that. They did that to humiliate me in, in the public square to scare people. And it's not about me, John. It's about I understand. It's about the future of the America Department of Justice. To kowtow to these people who are out of control. You know, like I've never seen any of those people who perpetrated the Russia hoax even get a whiff of an indictment, much less leg irons. Uh, yeah, I'm still waiting for that. Two-tiered system of justice. John, two understand. system of justice. Yeah. Peter Navarro, uh, good luck. And uh, if you have additional comments, we're always willing to put you on. It's the same way we're always willing to put on any, anybody retired or present FBI, uh, et cetera. And uh, well, thank you so much. And when, I, when I leave, John, ask that FBI agent whether it's protocol to deny people the ability to call their attorney and just take their phone and slap it in an evidence. Was it the FBI or the the U.S. Marshals that that did that? That was the FBI who did that at the time of my arrest. Okay. I asked them repeatedly to call call for legal advice, and they did not let me do that. And then they gave me a, a public defender literally three minutes before the hearing who... Uh, we can talk more about that. Anyway. Thank you, Peter Navarro. Man. I appreciate yeah. you being there, brother. Take care. Uh, now on the line. Now now on the line we have for us, we have so many people. We have Andrew McCarthy. Andrew McCarthy, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. So uh, January 6th hearings are tonight. We, we think it's political theater at this point. I'd like to find out exactly what happened regarding all the security failures that we're now hearing about. But I don't think that's going to happen tonight. Well, there's already been a, a on um, there's already been an extensive Senate report by two committees on the security failures, which were appalling. But I think you're quite right; they're not uh, focused on that. Um, it's a very I, I, I hate to say this, but it's a, because I, I'm someone who who actually thinks. January 6th was awful, and we have an obligation to have a, uh, a good process of investigating it so we can get a complete, reliable narrative of what happened. 
But I really think the Democrats have, have blown this by constructing needlessly a partisan committee, the only qualification for which is you have to either be a Democrat or hate Trump. And I say that as somebody who, you know, I, I prosecuted terrorists in the 1990s. The terrorists got lawyers. You know, they were able to make their case in front of the jury. Um, to, have a, to have a fact-finding committee with subpoena power in a in a in a political situation where you don't even have a judge who who makes sure everybody follows the rules, and then you have one important perspective, which is the mainstream Republican perspective on this, that is not even represented and that they don't even consult with before they, you know, do their uh, subpoena issuance and the other things they've they've done to gather evidence. It's just, it's really appalling in this country that that could happen. Have, were you able, were you listening on the radio at all? Did you hear uh, anything with, that John Solomon said or, or 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 Peter Navarro? I heard the tail end of uh, your discussion with Peter Navarro. I haven't read anything that John. Well, John Solomon, read. he told us in it was breaking news that Schumer's a staffer on Sh- Sh- for Schumer was given a heads up that there would be chaos at the Capitol. Nothing. It went nowhere. The FBI notified them. Uh, you had the D.C. mayor. She also turned down police. I mean, and then, of course, that memo January 2nd that Trump issued asking for the National Guard. So it just seems like the ball was dropped every which way. Yeah, I just the the, the only thing I can uh, I only know this because I wrote about this about a year ago. And I, I'm not I'm sure John, who is a dogged reporter, uh, has better details than I had. But a year ago, there were two Senate committees that looked at this and it was horrifying how how bad the incompetence was, not only inadequately having a presence you know, enough uh, security forces there, but they were not trained for this moment. They were not equipped for this moment. There was like, uh, it, it would be hilarious if it wasn't so horrifying, but they had you know, situations where their their equipment was locked in places where they didn't have a key to get in to get it. They didn't have enough people out there. Uh, it's just, it's mind boggling. And it's important, I think, for the reasons you're getting at, which is that, and this doesn't excuse what happened that day, but if there had been adequate security forces, um, this thing probably wouldn't have happened at all. And if it did happen, it would have been quelled much faster. And look, as a kid, you guys from New Yorkers will appreciate this. I grew up in the South Bronx, in the in the Bronx, and went to school in the South Bronx in the 60s and 70s. And I was around for the bad old days. When Rudy Giuliani became mayor of New York, there wasn't a safer place in the city to be in than a Yankee game at night. And, uh, you know, what that, I think, underscores common sense-wise is if you have security, you can, you can have events, even events where, you know, you're going to have people who intensely disagree with each other. Um, but if you don't have security, you're inviting a catastrophe. And what we had on January 6th was a catastrophe. And the lack of security forces is a big reason for it. Andy, it's, uh, it's Richard Warmberg. I want to talk to you about the, uh, the alleged attempted assassination of a justice of the United States Supreme Court. What are your thoughts about that? Well, Judge, you know, we talked about this, I, I want to say, like a week ago, about the fact that the uh, Justice Department will not enforce a federal statute 
that makes it a crime to protest at the home of a of not just a justice, but you know anyone who's a key player in litigation, whether it's a judge or a juror or or a key witness. And the obvious reason for that is in our constitutional system, judicial proceedings are supposed to be insulated from politics. So to the extent that the Biden administration keeps saying, well, you know, as long as these protesters are peaceful, that's fine. Uh, it's not fine because the law doesn't the red line in the law is not violence when it comes to judicial proceedings. We don't want judicial proceedings subjected to any political pressure. There's no First Amendment right to, uh, to exert political pressure on people who are deciding a judicial proceeding. And I, I would just point out the hypocrisy here. Today, the Biden Justice Department arrested a Republican who is running for governor in, in uh, Michigan, a guy named Kelly. And what they charged him with were four misdemeanor crimes, which in a nutshell uh, mean that he is being accused of being unlawfully present at, the, at a restricted area, namely the Capitol, on January 6th. Unlawfully not, present. I mean, I got to laugh right. at that one. You and think there's a double standard And like there? over Andy? a year later, I mean. Double standard? It's crazy. Well, I think it's even worse, Judge, than a double standard because he, I, I have no brief for people who interfere with congressional proceedings. But that said, congressional proceedings by nature are political. And if there's political pressure, as long as it's peaceful, you know, there's, a, there's an American tradition for that. Whereas we don't want political pressure in judicial proceedings. We don't want the Dobbs abortion case being decided on the basis of intimidation or fear or favor, for that matter. It's supposed to be decided under the rule of law. So this whole idea that we got somewhere along the last quarter century or so that it's that it's OK to go protest at a courthouse as if the judges are supposed to hear the, the protesters and decide the case according to the passions of the crowd is so wrongheaded. But. Once that became a norm, I guess the natural next step is to go protest at their homes. But it's terribly it's awful for the system. Well, we well, thank you so much, Andrew McCarthy, for for always giving us uh, all the, the, the truth and all the details and everything we need to know for the American people. Thank, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. We have to go to a break. They're waving at us in the control room. When we come back, Charlie Gasparino will also be speaking with Gordon Chang, Daniel Henninger, uh, deputy editor of the Wall Street Journal, Dr. Peter Mikolos. Some breaking news there as well. Keep it right here. Cats at night. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katznatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us, we have Charlie Gasparino. He's a journalist. He's he's a frequent panelist on Fox Business, and he's also here, well, often with us now in Cats at Night. Um, how how are you, Charlie? Uh, it's not looking good, right, John? Well, Charlie, Wall Street dropped six hundred points today because our investors are scared crapless <laughs> about the CPI report tomorrow. What say you? Uh, you know, I think the Fed's going to raise rates like four, four or five more times and stocks have to normalize. And it's kind of as simple as that. And they are not normalized. These are valuations that reflect, you know, Jerome Powell printing money, um, Joe Biden spending money, massive inflation. 
And, uh, you know, and remember, stocks try to price in the future. What they're pricing in right now is a lack of inflation. They're pricing in higher bond yields, so people buy bonds instead of stocks. And that's essentially what's going on here. I, Charlie, if, we, if, we're, if we're forcing our – if we're forcing our country into recession, does the Fed wake up one morning and say, oh, crap, what did we do? Well, you know, we're going to get a recession anyway. I mean, the, the problem is that when you have rampant inflation, you often get a recession. And you get a recession because people at some point, the wage, what's known as a, a, a wage um, price spiral gets out of control that you can't really keep up with. The wages never meet the price increases. And people essentially just cut back on what they do, and, and you get you get um, a recession and inflation. So you get stagflation. That's worse than one or the other. So I think they're, they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. What they should have done, if they were smart, if they had any sort of semblance of, you know, any sort of insight into, into the last – 50 years of what happens when you hinder um, supply, supply chains, which is what they did when they essentially imposed regulations and taxes, when you increase demand, which is essentially what they did when you uh, when you print money and hand people free checks, when the economy is doing okay, if they, that, that is the classic recipe for, for inflation. And I can't believe they didn't see that coming. Now, our, our, guest know, the, in the, our guest in the studio wants to say one word. Gordon Chang? Charlie, um, of course, Jamie Dar, uh, Diamond last week said that a hurricane is coming and it could be Superstorm Sandy. But when we look at the broader world, there are more fundamental problems in China. And with soaring food and um, energy costs, the rest of the world probably is going to go into recession with everybody else. This really looks like a global downturn. This could be 1930s type stuff. What do you think? I don't think it's 1930s. And I, the reason why I don't think that is that, if, you know, the banks are still in pretty good shape, right? We don't have over-leveraged banks. Uh, the consumer has saved a lot, okay? So you have consumers, a lot of consumers flush with cash. They're not, if you look at the numbers, they're not totally leveraged in, in ways that people were leveraged in the 30s, particularly the financial system. I mean, in the 30s, you know, I, I mean, we, we, we focus a lot on 2008, but in the 30s, people weren't leveraged on their stocks. And, you know, there was a huge there was a huge bubble in the markets that people borrowed uh, on margin to buy those shares. So I don't think but, we're but, but, uh, Charlie, but this we, is... we could be pretty bad. You know, I mean, we could, it could be like a nasty thing. Uh, Charlie, this is Rudy Washington, and I, I'm inclined to agree with Gordon. I, I think so much is being concealed that the American public don't see. In, in 29, 30, when we had the crash, we saw the food lines and everything uh, to let you know things were really bad. Right now we're concealing a lot of things with food stamps, with dependency, with welfare, and, you know, the impact that this is going to have when the money is not available to just give out uh, is going to be horrendous. I think back to Jimmy Carter. Uh, Jimmy Carter was even better because I remember being able to get a 10%, and I'm sure everybody in this room except Lydia remember we could mm-hmm. get a 10% CD, you know, yeah. in like three you know, months it, or it, some it, craziness. Rudy, Rudy never it, – it, just because it's not 29 or not 2008 doesn't mean it's not going to be bad. Uh, I mean, everything is different. And, uh, you know, it's just there's different circumstances and preconditions with, with 
what's going on now as opposed to then. We don't have the tremendous amounts of financial leverage. So the banks, you know, probably won't fail. That's a good thing. Uh, we do have massive, massive amounts of consumer speculation in stocks. And I, I'm not talking about people buying Apple and, you know, or dividend stocks. I'm talking about people going out there and buying meme stocks and all this crazy stuff, crypto. Bitcoin. You know, that's where at Bitcoin and, you know, it's even worse than Bitcoin. There's stuff out there that they bought that's, you know, you wouldn't even, you know, they're not exactly household names, but they, they ran up tremendously in price. You had that sort of, you know, speculation. And, you know, you, and I think this is where you're right. I don't know just how much of that is transparent. I mean, how much we know about that type of economy. And if this thing corrects, like Jamie Dimon, he didn't predict. He suggested. He kind of backtracked and caught himself. He doesn't want to, like, destroy his entire business overnight. But <laughs> he kind of brought himself back. But if things thing corrects, like he said, it's going to correct. I mean, you know, it's going to be a lot of pain. I mean, we're going to have a we're going to have a, um, at least a moderate recession. And it's but Charlie, this is and I agree with you. The U.S. is in better shape than the rest of the world. But the U.S. can't stand if the rest of the world is in crisis. And that's the way it's starting to look with the war in Ukraine, which is driving these prices up, which is really devastating large parts of the world now and probably a lot worse later. And then, as I said, you got China, which the debt crisis, I mean, all of this is hitting at the same time. Right. right. You got a confluence of events. You got the collapse of the housing market in China. You know, people focus a lot on Ukraine. You're right. And there's other pressure points that that exploded here. And the biggest pressure point, though, that exploded is the U.S. stock market is a complete and utter joke. What people have put money into and what people have done, and I can see it because they're on social media pages. And these are people who, you know, know, are driving buses, not that I have any problem with bus drivers, but they think that they're experts at markets. They never lived through a bear market, much less traded through one. And, um, you know, when you get – when the shoeshine boy gives you a stock tip, then you know you're in trouble. That was Bernard Baruch, wasn't it? Charlie Gasparino, thank you for coming on, even though you're on vacation. Charlie Gasparino does Charles his work. Oh, I love Charleston. Yeah, guys. Thank you so much. And let's take a break. We're going to come back with Gordon Chang to tell us what the heck is going on. And uh, let's take that break. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's Frank Bruno. Law.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night Show. We have a uh, lucky in studio. We have you, Gordon Chang. Gordon G. Chang, right on Twitter? That's Correct? me. And I, I know we, we never give you the actual title. You're Gl- a Gladstone Distinguished Senior Fellow. Now, talk to us about the solar panels and the, you know, Biden administration is talking about these China tariffs. 
How is that buying American? How is that helping Americans in any way, shape or form? It's certainly not, Lydia. Um, On Monday, the Biden administration um, put on hold, waived for 24 months tariffs on solar panels. These are solar panels that um, are made in China. Then they're shipped to Vietnam. They put in different boxes which said made in Vietnam and come into the U.S., And there's a company in California that filed a complaint with the Commerce Department saying that the tariffs were being evaded. Well, what Biden's order does on Monday is to say that there's that Commerce Department investigation is now put on hold for 24 months. No tariffs can be collected for this period, even if it's found that that company was right. And clearly it is because people in Asia know that China's doing this. And what this is doing is devastating American industry, and it's helping Chinese industry. And by the way, some of those solar panels probably are made by forced or slave labor in the northwestern part of China, which is another sin that the Biden administration is not looking at. That's the Uyghurs. That's the Uyghurs and the other Kazakh minorities who are Mm. being forced to produce all sorts of products. And the allegation is that they're solar panels. Now, Biden wants those solar panels in the U.S., and he's overlooking a regime that is committing crimes against humanity, genocide, forced labor, executions, torture, rape, sterilization. To me, this is unspeakable. If we're getting solar panels from China, what does that do to the industry here? It kills it. It kills it. And and, um, as Rudy has just mentioned, um, you've got, for instance, even the um, the 24 months, Biden is saying, well, he's going to use the Defense Production Act, help U.S. industry. But by the end of 24 months, those Chinese customers will have locked up the markets, which means U.S. companies, even if they've gotten help from the federal government, won't have those customer relations to sell solar panels. So this is sort of like, let's help the Chinese worker, let's devastate American industry, and And let's continue to perpetuate a genocide. And perpetuating genocide on the side. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much, uh, Gord and Ji Chang. And do we want to go to break? Yeah, let's go to break. And then when we... Oh, two more more minutes with Gordon Chang. Oh, okay. What else, Gordon? Um, Shanghai is going back into lockdown. Um, and now already going back to lockdown again, some neighborhoods are going back into a lockdown since the beginning of the month. Um, China has been trying to relax the restrictions both in Beijing and Shanghai, but still a substantial number of people in both cities are in under restrictive rules. Um, also it's not just those two major cities across the Eastern part of China. There are coronavirus lockdowns. Um, in some places, it's getting more serious. Um, this is really a problem because for China, they have no answer um, to this. They don't have vaccines. Uh, they don't have herd immunity. Their only defense, they believe, is isolation, which means from a very selfish U.S. perspective, we're not getting we're not going to get China products. That's, of course, the least of it. The Chinese people are now suffering because of very bad decisions made by the Communist Party regarding coronavirus. So, Gordon, they don't have access to a vaccine at all? They have um, Sinovac and Sinopharm vaccines, um, but they were never effective against any variant of COVID-19. They're certainly not effective against Omicron. And Omicron is the variant that is now going through the eastern part of China. So, essentially, they don't have a vaccine. Wow. I just so I just and what can you talk to us, too, about the electric car batteries and everything like that? I mean, you you have, you know, AOC saying, oh, and 
Speaker Pelosi, we got to do this transition into, you know, batteries and blah, blah, blah. But and where are they made as well? I mean, they're they're, in- they're made in China, of course. Um, and China controls rare earths, which are important for batteries. Now, rare earths are not necessarily rare, but China controls something like 85, 95 percent of the market because they're the ones that don't care about their environment. They're producing this stuff. We've, as a nation, have decided not to mine our rare earths and to produce and to uh, produce them here. So this really is a problem because it's not only taking them out of the earth; it's also the processing, and we're not doing that here. So really, what we're doing is we're giving ourselves, we're making ourselves more dependent on a regime that calls us an enemy. Go figure. And while we abide by the Paris Accord Agreement and the carbon emissions, they're ramping up their coal factories, coal, right? Certainly. Um, as we talked about a few days ago on this show, um, China is digging as much coal as it possibly can. And by the way, China's coal is much more dirty than the coal that they import from Australia. It's dirtier than most of our coal. So really what we do is not having very much of an effect on the overall atmosphere because it's not just the American atmosphere it's the world's, and China is really dumping a lot of coal. Last I it. checked, I think China was on the same planet, right? Yeah, I, I think so. Okay, yeah. now, I, think now, so. I know you're the expert, so I don't want you to get away without giving me your opinion on this. Uh, China is running exercises up on its northern border by Russia. Do you think? <clears throat> excuse me. Do you think they're anticipating the break up of Russia or a civil war in Russia, and that they will reclaim the territories? that Russia took from them after World War II, and if there is a civil war in Russia, that they would go all the way to the Arctic with his oil. Well, officially Beijing doesn't claim Siberia, but the Chinese central government is actually promoting the view that uh, Vladivostok and a big portion of Siberia right. really should be part of China's. Right. It's bad history. But that doesn't stop Beijing. And so Beijing has been getting its eyes on taking back millions and millions of square miles. The Russians are hysterical about it. But right now they need China because China has been financing the war in Ukraine in addition to helping Russia in other ways. And they're buying they're buying all the crude oil they need from Russia for a twenty five dollar discount. Discounts. Yes. Discounts. Discounts. They follow the money. Thank you, Gordon. <laughs> we're gonna go to a break. Please you'll stay in the studio and I keep asking questions. Will uh, do. We're, we're gonna go Thank to you. a break and uh, we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have Daniel Henninger. He is uh, the deputy Wall editor of the Wall Street Journal. He's a very impressive uh, person. Keep it right here, Cats at Night. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line with us is Daniel Henninger. He's the deputy editor of the Wall Street Journal's editorial page. His weekly column, Wonderland, appears in the Wall Street Journal each Thursday. He also has a show on Fox. And Judge Weinberg, I know you're a big fan of his work. I am. I read his column every every week, and I read the editorial pages every every day. Daniel, I want to ask you the following question. When you were writing that piece today in the Wall Street Journal, and you were talking about the... Uh, the defeat of Bodine in, uh, in San Francisco, you raised an important question, which is, is this the beginning of a change in tide or is it stay the same? What do, you, what do you say about that to our audience? Well, as I say in the piece, Judge, it depends on who you're talking about, uh, whether you're talking about the average person on the street or, or whether you're talking about the professional progressives. 
I mean, this was San Francisco where Jason Boudin got recalled. This is arguably the most progressive big city in the United States. 60% voted to recall him, which is to say the average person on the street there, probably a progressive, just got tired of kicking their way through hypodermic needles, other waste on the street, shops closing, smash and grab. And they had had enough. But you know what? The question is, is this sending a message to the progressives in the Democratic Party? And I'm arguing that the professionals, the prosecutors, the people on city council in the House of Representatives, those progressives will not change their views. I mean, Chase Boudin didn't alter his opinions at all. George Gascon, the prosecutor in Los Angeles, uh, is not doing any mid-course corrections. And here in New York City, one doesn't hear at all about the progressive prosecutors running for the five bureaus saying they're going to change their uh, ideologies in the least. So it is going to be up to the voters ultimately to pull them out of office, because I don't think the ones who uh, make a living from progressivism are going to change no matter what happens to people like Jason Boudin. Well, this, as you correctly point out, and you quoted uh, my favorite Supreme Court Justice Robert Jackson, the United States Constitution is not a suicide pact. And we were going down the path in city after city, state after state, is the suicide of, of civilization of our country. Could you comment on that? Well, absolutely. As, uh, as uh, Judge Jackson wrote, the choice is not between order and liberty. It is between liberty with order and anarchy without either. And anarchy is what we had in San Francisco and indeed in Seattle, Los Angeles, Chicago, heavens knows, on the weekends and uh, certainly in New York City. And there is a limit to uh, what Judge Jackson called uh, turning the Constitution into a suicide attack. And I argue in my piece that the progressive, average progressives in San Francisco decided they were not going to allow progressive ideology to turn their city into a suicide pact. So in that sense, Judge, it's, it was an optimistic outcome. Uh, there is hope that uh, God knows at a high price in all these cities, uh, but that obviously there are limits to what people are willing to accept. And we have the problem here in New York State because you have a state legislature that refuses to make the changes that have to be made to bring back law and order and public safety to New York City and New York State. Well, that's exactly what I'm talking about. They've been very reluctant to change the Bail Reform Act here. Uh, the people of New York elected a mayor, Eric Adams, who ran specifically on uh, attacking the city's crime. He's pri tried to bring back the uh, police unit that does surveillance of uh, guns on the street. Recall back in the 1990s, we called that stop and frisk. The federal court found it uh, unconstitutional. But this is not the 1990s when Rudy Giuliani or my, even Mike Bloomberg were mayor. Uh, Eric Adams is faced with a very progressive political base here in the city, and it's going to be difficult. Well, thank you. We're out of time. And uh, Judge Venizelos, uh, former head of the FBI in New York, thank you. And uh, Judge Weinberg, uh, Gordon Chang, at Gordon G. Chang, your Twitter. And uh, former uh, Deputy Mayor Rudy Washington, thank you. And my sidekick, Lydia Serrano. Thank you so much, Dan Henninger, and, uh, too. Thank you. Dan me. Henninger, right. thank Great you so much. And, and you know what we stand for, Dan Henninger? <laughs> Truth, Truth justice, justice, and, and the American, American way. way. Well, I like it. God bless, uh, God bless New York and God bless America because we need God's blessing. Thank you.